Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. I have nothing, nothing bad to report right now. That's almost the same as good. Yeah. For so years, I, I thought that was good. <laughs> nothing I've, bad. I've been looking at your Instagram and and uh, and I guess your posts to Twitter. And it looks like you're sort of cataloging your belongings with a little a little teaser of history with each one. Oh, uh, this yeah, ship well, is made from a baleen sail that my dad got for you know that kind of thing. <laughs> I love the uh, hashtag TBT on Instagram. I'm not exactly sure whether it's Taking Back Tuesday or Thumb Thursday. I think it's throw, throwback. TBT oh, is it. throwback, and I, I think it's throwback Tuesday, but maybe throwback. it's Thursday. Thursday. Nobody's I think it, quite... See, because I, and I, have, I take issue with this, John. I'm glad you brought this up because I'm okay. re- ready to spend some time talking about this if necessary, in that if you use a single letter to abbreviate a day of the week, right. Monday is M, Tuesday, T, Wednesday, W, Thursday is not T, if, if you're limited to one letter, it's R. Huh. Therefore, throwback Thursday is actually throwback Tuesday if you're using TBT. I just want to put that out there the same way that uh, in 1999 was not the new millennium. But we don't have to worry about that today. Uh-huh. So, so, so uh, if it was throwback Thursday, you're saying it would be TBR? TBR. Well, that would really confuse me even more. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it sounds like tuberculosis or something. Yeah, or yeah, right, some kind of old old fashioned sports car. I <laughs> I don't uh, get it because I see TBT used all the time, Tuesdays, Thursdays, up and down, and it has come to be a hashtag that just means to me. Here's a picture from here's an old picture. Yeah, from any any other Thursday except today. Or just whenever. Yeah, I mean, I see TBTs on Monday. It's just <laughs> yeah, like, okay, it just, means, it just means take a look at this back uh, theater picture. Is that So I, that's sort of what you're doing? These are throwback pictures? No, they're, they're not. Uh, they are just, they, they, throwback pictures interest me greatly when I see other people's throwback pictures because it is... It's always interesting to see something from somebody else's past, but also uh, that kind of self curation is really, really interesting. Just full stop. You know, I mean, we used to all have picture albums on the shelves uh, in our homes, and those represented, at least in my family, whenever somebody really, really felt like spending the money to get some, get these rolls of film developed that have been sitting in this saucer on the piano for six months. You know, my dad, my dad had a relationship with the people at the photos shop. He would go in, he, he took pictures all the time. He would take his rolls in to be developed. He would, we would stop on the way home. It was one of the, it was like going to the pharmacy for him. He would go get his photos. And when he went to get his prints, he would drop off more film and, but my mom hardly ever took a picture, and when she did, it was, you know, it was it was like, we're you we are using a frame to to record this moment. Let's not waste it, right? Let's not waste a, waste a photograph on something that doesn't right because it co- you know it costs money. 
And then, but we had photo albums. We had photo albums going back to before I was born, and it was a thing you'd do on the afternoon. You'd sit and open the open the albums and flip through them and look at the pictures. So I'm, I'm, so that's baked into me, and and I wish we still had those photo albums. But at some point in the '90s, during one of those like organizational waves that sometimes comes upon a family like they were infected with Zika. <laughs> My mom decided that two shelves on the bottom of a, of a, of a, you know, a shelf unit, two shelves devoted to photo albums, or let's say even the egregious waste of three shelves. This was not efficient. And so, you know, spent 600 man hours taking all the photographs out of the old photo albums where they had lived their whole lives and putting them into boxes. Mm. And initially, right, the first time you do something like that, you can order the photographs in the order that they came out of the photo albums and now they're in boxes. And if you want to look at the photos, you flip through them, I guess like you're look, you're in a library, you're going through the card catalog. Flip, 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 flip. Oh, this one. Flip, flip, flip. You don't get to see them next to each other. You don't get to see them in their original context. But then, of course, after you've looked at them, even 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 three times through the box, they're completely scrambled because yeah, you pull, pull a photo out. You're like, look at this one, and then you put it back in randomly. So all historical context is gone. All, um, you know, like all continuity is gone. Yes, and then. You get the then you go through those boxes in a wave because somebody says, Well, I want this one, this one, this one, and this one because these are the ones that are meaningful to me, and then they, those are gone. And then, you know, my mom in another big wave of organization was like, Well, I'm just gonna all these pictures of pets and and landscapes and you know, all that sort of like we this is clogging our lives. We need this stuff out of here. So right now I'm living in a world where the, the my family photographs are just just exploded all over the place. They're in 40 different boxes. They're in no particular order, and it it's it, it causes me anxiety. But when I see other people find these photographs of like here I am in high school, or you know they're they're kind of you you see two different types of them and and everybody's Instagram feed is, is so, uh, so curious how, how people present themselves, but it seems like hashtag TBT is often an opportunity to post an embarrassing photo. Of right. Yourself. Yes. Yes. And I really admire it, you know, especially when the emb embarrassing photographs are truly embarrassing. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a nice thing that people do to let the air out of themselves a little bit. Um, yeah, because they're embarrassing photos are also a way of of uh, self mythologizing, right? Because most of the time, those embarrassing photos have an element where you're like, "Wow, that is actually kind of cool," or you know, "I know you look like a dork, but you're wearing a skinny puppy T-shirt, <laughs> and so you're communicating <laughs> very subtly that you, you know, although you look like a dork, you." We're into skinny puppy in, in 83 and that's worth some experience points.
But I realize that, you know, the way that I am looking at my house now and kind of wandering around and going like, what am I going to do? What exactly is my plan here? What am I going to, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to comb and I realize that every little, every little, uh, still life in my house, because that's kind of what they are. You know, I, I create these little still lifes. Mm-hmm. I don't put something down on a table. I put something down on a table next to something else with something else behind it. And I'm conscious of the, all this of them is your, this is the artist within you, John. Yeah. It just seems like you don't, you don't just plop a, you don't just plop a thing down. You, you plop it down into the, into a nest, a nest of other things that you've plopped down. But I, so I see them and they all kind of, in a way have that, have all of those elements. Like this is kind of embarrassing that I have this, first of all. It's a little bit embarrassing, but I'm also proud of the way I've nested it in this little nest of other embarrassing things. The whole thing taken together is pretty cool if you want, you know, like that's what I'm really trying to communicate. Isn't this cool? But within it, it's embarrassing. Right. And then there, you know, and then there's always something in the picture or a couple of things in the picture that I'm, because uh, I, I know people look at pictures closely like I'm waiting for somebody to say, wait a minute, is that the, is that, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to recognize the special thing. I posted one the other day and within an hour, someone said, is that the Mao Zedong uh, lighter that when you open the, 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 the cap to light it, it plays the Chinese national anthem on a little, you know, two bit battery powered micro speaker. And I'm like, why? Yes, it is. You know, it's like a little lighter that has chairman Mao on it. And when you flip it open, it goes, I don't know the Chinese national. I can't say it for you. (laughs) It's this terrible, annoying little thing. And you know, within an hour, somebody had recognized it. And I love that about the internet. There's almost nothing I've put up that hasn't nothing, no little, um, thing that I'm very, very, that I put up with a bullseye around it, like, do you see this? That there, that somebody won't eventually recognize it. And I, that astonishes me. Although in that same picture, there is a framed transit visa to go into East Berlin or e- into East Germany, an East German transit visa in a frame that nobody said a word about. And that kind of annoyed me a little bit because it was like, what, what, who you guys are, you put it there, you put it there as a test really. Well, no, I mean, it was already that, that was just a picture of what was on that shelf, but putting it online, somebody should be there to digest every little thing because my God, what are we doing with our days? Right. (laughs) All we're doing is looking at each other's Instagram photos with a microscope trying to see like, what is that a, what, wait a minute. I was, I, I, I went to an event, uh, not an adventure. It was hardly an adventure. I went to an event, uh, where Richard Branson was the guest of honor. Yeah, I saw you down over there. Yeah. A couple of days ago. And, uh, it was a pretty trying event. Let's be honest. Richard Branson, uh, um, like he looks amazing and he, he's the rare, I've had a couple of conversations about this recently. Like, Everybody seems to love and admire Richard Branson. Yeah. Richard Branson's entire career, the first 40 years of his career, 
Well, uh, the first 40 years of his career and then subsequent all the way up to now, Richard Branson's whole brand is I am surrounding myself with uh, the most beautiful women I can employ in tightly tailored outfits. Right. And we're going to just romp around blanketing the world with cocaine. <laughs> And I'm going to do, you know, and I'm like, that is no, that is the vibe he he gives for sure. It's only propriety that, that prohibits me from walking around with my penis out. (laughs) Otherwise, like that's like, as, as Hugh Hefner declined, like Richard Branson's Branson's getting younger as Hugh Hefner. I think he's stealing youth from, from Hugh Hefner. I don't, <laughs> there's no youth left in Hugh Hefner. Yeah. He's taken it but all. He did. He vampired it all. But, uh, but he's a CEO and is w- widely admired as a CEO in spite of the fact that every single one of his business practices would now be considered like anathema to what our contemporary values are. Right. I mean, you don't. If somebody came along and said, my brand is, I'm surrounded by foxy stewardesses and I can do anything I want because I'm a rich white guy with, with shoulder length hair. Woo! Mm-hmm. Like people would dump on that person with a, like a tidal wave. But, but somehow Richard Branson, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that there are plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of master's theses, unpublished master's theses that that take a feminist take on Richard Branson. But, but typically like at this event I went to, he's on stage with some other CEOs and they're all talking about the contemporary business culture and, and what the future of entrepreneurial business is. And it's, it was not a, it was not a, an appropriate panel because everyone in the room was just there to meet Richard Branson. Nobody wanted to hear some 35 year old CEOs, C, I say CEO in quotes. No, no, everybody there was a legitimate business person. But, you know, they're talking about, like, startup culture. And 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 going down this panel as though we don't all just want to hear, like, private island cocaine stories from Richard Branson. We also want to hear from the guy that started Shoes.com about what he thinks about startup business. And the the tenor of the conversation was absolutely like there are not enough women CEOs. There needs to be more diversity in, uh, not just at the C level, but at every level. Do you realize how, uh, how discriminatory the tech culture is? We really need to do a better job. And Richard Branson's sitting up there, you know, leaning in and saying, it's absolutely right. We absolutely need more women in the, in the boardrooms and in all the rooms. And everybody laughs uncomfortably and, but like, that's what we're talking about. And, and, and why, and, and Branson's floating above it all, like on a, on a magic carpet, like absolutely. As a matter of fact, let me direct your attention to the 20 beautiful women that I've brought with me here all in sixties tailored, uh, stewardess outfits, blah, Borg. Uh, so I was, from the very beginning of the event, I was really sad that I had found a seat 
so close to the stage because it made it impossible to go to the bar. I mean, four minutes in, I was like, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. Looking at the floor, I was looking to the left, looking to the right. Everyone's wrapped. There's no way I can get out. Right. And it's not like you're like a tiny little elf of a person that could just sort of sneak under a chair either. No, we're all squeezed in there. So I had to sit for, you know, for the, for the hour and listen to the, listen How, to well, the, for, let me roll back for a second. How did you get invited or why did you wind up going to this anyway? Well, somebody, uh, one of the CEOs on the stage, uh, of a young startup, uh, said, you want to meet Richard Branson to me? And I said, course and you hope in a situation like that that you and a and a little gaggle of people are going to stand around with richard branson and listen to him tell cocaine stories when i arrived i realized that this was an event this was because what it was was virgin atlantic is opening a new direct seattle to london flight and i know branson comes here periodically to take delivery of new airplanes from Boeing. He likes to, he likes to take delivery of the plane himself. And he really does travel with a gaggle of, of, um, like air hostesses who are dressed like Aeroflot stewardesses from the late sixties. You know, they're like, they have the hat, they have the red, really? but the outfits are like very tailored it's an extraordinary sight to see Richard Branson with like seven um, air hostesses standing around him. And they, you know, and, and I mean, it's quite a, um, it's quite a picture, although it's again, obviously not something like if Ev Williams showed up for the launch party of, of medium and he had seven, computer hostesses in tailored outfits, people would say, boo, no, that's not what we do. But, you know, Richard Branson somehow is grandfathered in and whatever. Well, goes, it's amazing. Well, John, while you've been talking about this, I just Googled and on Google images, Richard Branson women. And there are lots and lots of pictures with him of him with what I'm assuming are these women. A lot of the time it looks like he's carrying them. Sometimes he, he has them over his shoulder, sort of like, oh, woman over shoulder. And then other times he's carrying them almost as if he would across a threshold. Mm-hmm. But I, I would, I will put this link into the show notes so that people <laughs> who are interested to just click uh, on the Google search, Richard Branson women for images. You're not exaggerating. I mean, this is, a, this is, and they're all wearing red, but that's the virgin color is red. Uh, but he's. Again and again, picture after picture, he's carrying women. Here's a picture of him uh, water skiing with a woman clinging to his back. Mm. Uh, There's another picture of him water skiing or air parasailing or something where there's no less than three bikini-clad women hanging on to him. Yes. Yes. You see see my point. Um, He, uh, the, the, uh, the... the interviewer, the, the, the host of the panel was a local newscaster, um, who is an Asian woman who uh, reports for King five news. She's like the, um, she's, what is she? The, the anchor of one of the programs on King five. And she's a great interviewer in that style, in the 
like local news program style. Um, you know, she never misses a beat. She's very like, she's very good at moving an event along. Uh, and when she introduced him at first, it was just the two of them. And she said, well, you know, it was great pleasure. And, you know, and she never cracked. She ne- her, her smile never cracked. She never lets on. It's not even visible in her eyes what she really thinks or feels. You know, she's just like, this is amazing. It was such a pleasure to meet you. And at some point in that initial conversation, it was revealed that when, when she arrived, uh, Richard Branson was there with some other, uh, with some of these CEOs one of whom was a woman and Richard made the suggestion that they all pick her up. The, uh, the <laughs> news. Oh my God. She's, you know, she's a small person and he was like, come on, let's get, you know, get up, climb on up here. Let, you know, like, let me pick you like picking women up is his, that's, that's his, his thing. This is his, his, I'm just these pictures one after another, after another, yeah, he's walking around carrying, carrying a woman around. That's his, that's like like that's just his luggage. Yeah. Or yeah, just his, uh, I mean, I think that's his signature move, I guess. Like, let's, let me just, let me just pick you right up there. And then I see, I see, I, I just did the, uh, Richard Branson women. And, uh, yeah, there's one where he hilariously has them picking him up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are quite a few pictures here where the woman who's being picked up has a look on her face. Like, I don't know about this. Um, anyway, so yeah, it was, did that go over well, that suggestion? Well, this is the thing. Like he, everybody laughed. Now, how much of it was uncomfortable laughter? I mean, there are plenty of events in America today where at something like that, someone in the back of the room would stand up and go, I call foul, but this was an entrepreneur's event. And at those type of things, I go to them periodically because there are a lot of tech people here like Paul Allen, for instance, throws events all the time. And it's one of the things that I think because he is so wealthy, he's able to throw an event if he wants to. If he wants to meet somebody, he just throws an event. I want to meet Eric Clapton. Let's have a, let's give Eric Clapton the 100-year service award. Let's give him the key to the city. And immediately (laughs) like 40 people set about creating an event to give Eric Clapton the key to the city. They go to the mayor. We want to give him the key to the city. The mayor goes, Paul Allen wants it. Absolutely. They rent the biggest hall in the town. Eric Clapton says, I I won't do it for less than a million dollars. And they, and it's wired to him immediately. And then Eric Clapton arrives. So I go to these events periodically. And what you, what you realize is that the, The 500 people that paid $2,500 each to be at the Eric Clapton Key to the City Awards show, none of them have ever heard of Eric Clapton or care. They're paying $2,500 a seat because they want to get close to Paul Allen in the hopes that that proximity to Paul Allen will rub off some wealth onto them. Right. Like maybe if they go to enough of these things, Paul will see their face and recognize it so that when they make a bid on the construction of his new mega venue that he will, that they'll win the bid or that Paul will use their law firm or that 
or maybe they're just buying that ticket in order to stand next to him and say, I am in his class. Right. Right. I just want to get my picture with him where we both are standing there looking like we know each other because that goes on the wall in my den. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very complicated thing and I've been to enough of them to, to, because at first it was astonishing. Like you're all sitting here, you've paid an enormous sum of money to see this event and none of you are paying any attention to this event. Like Eric Clapton is right here and you are talking over him. And then you realize like, oh, this is not there. Nobody that wants to see Eric Clapton has $2,500 to, to buy a ticket to this award. You know, it would never, there's just two different groups of people. And what, and it's always, it's always so sad at a Paul Allen event because Paul Allen doesn't even, doesn't even show that he recognizes members of his own family. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like his, his face never changes. He is never going to see somebody and go, Hey, Bob, Hey, thanks for coming. Never. Right. And there are some people in, in the world that you, you buy that ticket, you go and they are the type of CEO that remembers your name and that even thinks that way, even deals that way. But you know, Paul's face never changes. And he has never once in his life reached his hand out first to someone else and said, hey, Bob. He always just stands there like a holy ox. And people are guided to him and he goes, hmm, hmm, and then they're guided away. So all these people are spending this money to get proximate to him. And he, you know, you could just have a cardboard cutout of him and get your picture taken with that. It'd be the same. So this Branson event is that, right? All these people, maybe some of them have business with the airport. I doubt it. It seemed like just a just a cross-section of Seattle suits, most of them not already succeeding to the point that they are in the peer class with anybody. They're just like, how is this? This is about entrepreneurship. This is close to Richard Branson, like, you know. Anything. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to try anything. Um, so it was awful. I mean, honestly, I was, I was mincing words before, but it, it's, it was terrible. However, at the end of the event, I'm standing around with a good friend of mine named Tilson, who is also, who was who the other person at the event that everybody was looking at going, how did you get here? Like, and that, that was, the, you know, they're looking at me that way. I'm like, mm, I know how, why am I here? So he and I are standing by the, I swear to you, biscuits and gravy station wow. at the after party, which was genius. <laughs> if you if you ever are catering a daytime event and you can get biscuits and gravy instead of like petit fours and little sausages and or whatever, like get it. Biscuits and gravy brings people closer. Anyway, a couple... <laughs> A couple of the uh, a couple of the air hostesses come over with a with a little Polaroid camera, and it's a little. At first, they're a little bit like, "Why are you here? May we take your photo?" I'm doing terrible British accents today. I, I normally like it. have no, I like great it. British accents. I'm telling you right now, people around the world, I can do British accents better than this. I'm just I'm mixing my medications, and it's taking away my ability to. British accent. 
anyway, so we're like, oh, why are we here? Well, it's, you know, like free food, free biscuits and gravy is why we're here. And we start chatting with the, um, with the women in the red stewardess outfits. And it turns out, uh, at least the few that we were, uh, making time with were incredibly charming, like just great. And I said, the first question out of my mouth was, are you actual, um, flight attendants or are you something else? And it was kind of split. There were a couple of people that said, I started as a flight attendant and then applied for slash was cherry picked to be in this special program the uh, SEAL Team 6 of Virgin American or Virgin Atlantic uh, flight attendants. and the, But there were a couple of other people who said, no, I was never a flight attendant. I applied directly for this position. And the position is this sort of scrum of between 15 and 50 people who are all very tailored looking and they – Fly, they do all the events, right? They're the event attendants. But then on the, on the like inaugural flights and the, the big, the big like cheesy wheezy flights, as Richard Branson would probably say, they are the flight attendants. So this, this inaugural flight from London to Seattle of their brand new airplane these were the flight attendants on that flight. Now, how you get on that flight as a passenger, I have no idea. But Richard Branson's on the plane. And so all of these, these are the flight attendants. But they are, they're, they're, you know, clearly like, I mean, to get a, to get a, a to get on a flight where this was, because there, there were men there too, who were also all very tailored and very groomed. Right. Say groomed. But also, you know, there it's a very handsome group of people. So we're having we're having fun uh, now. All of a sudden, and the and the attendants are neglecting their other duties because uh, Tilson is very wonderful and hilarious. And we are we're having now we're talking about the fact that we all collect trainers. Uh, I do not collect trainers, but I was talking about it with them. And so we start looking at each other's Instagram accounts. Uh, because Instagram is, I mean, we're also Snapchatting, um, but Instagram still ha- has some some social currency with people in the flight attendant community. And it was uh, it was hilarious to see how these people curated their Instagram feeds because I was meeting them in person and they were universally charming and witty and like, a, like I was, I was, I was pleasantly surprised because when you first see them, they're so physically intimidating or impressive. Mm-hmm. You want to think like, Oh, these are going to be awful people, right? They're, they're going to be, um, mean for lack of a better right, term. Just, right. just, just to, to, to see people who are living in this kind of rarefied air. Uh, but then when you looked at their Instagram feeds, they, that their, their Instagram accounts like doubled the amount that you would think they were, they were awful. 
you know, the, their Instagram, <laughs> they were all making duck face. They were all pictures of them on the beach in Dubai. Um, like clubbing photos, people making peace signs in ED at EDM parties. Like there, I was, I, I looked at them and, and I laughed and I, 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 to a couple of people, I was like, this is, this Instagram account uh, is incongruous to me uh, having now met you in person. And they're like, what do you mean? Like they saw no incongruity. They're never smiling in any single Instagram photo because they're too busy duck facing. Right. I was like, well, I mean, you're like, you're smart, witty people. And these Instagram accounts are there. They seem like the rich girls of Instagram or something, or just like, they just seem, um, shallow. Yeah. And, and mean, and there wasn't any, you know, everybody looked a little appalled that I was saying so. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, that's great. They're great pictures. Y'all look great. But like, how do you, how do you not, there, there, there was just that, that feeling of like, you guys are under selling yourselves or like you're, uh, you're thinking of yourselves, you're underused, you know, you're, you're not, you don't think of yourselves as smart and witty, I guess, because you're not being witty on Instagram, which you can be right. You can have a lot of wit on Instagram. If you want, you can have a lot of wit in the world. If you, if you try, if you, and I guess it was, I guess it's a thing that I value wit so much over beauty that if you had, if you were beautiful and had wit, why you wouldn't focus on the wit, you know, because beauty is like, it, I don't know. It's self-evident, right? If you pick, if you post a picture of yourself looking like a dork and you're beautiful, nobody's like fails to notice that you're beautiful. They're just, they appreciate you being a dork. Uh, so as I, as I go around my house now, not being on Twitter, I no longer have a venue for, for wit. And I, I'm sorry, a public venue for it, for that like hour to hour kind of desire to just toss off witticisms. And it's tiresome to... I mean, the, the, the whole thing about wit is that you don't, it's not a thing that you save up. I suppose if I were, if I were a novelist, I would, I would be putting witticisms down in a notebook or something to use mm -hmm. or witty observations or just general sort of wit to use somewhere else. But like, I tried that for a long time to, to put wit into my lyrics but when you write down lyrical witticisms all day in a book and you go back and look at it later, it doesn't actually produce a lot of lyrics because, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not David Lee Roth. His lyrics were not very witty either. But like if you, if, if you, there are plenty of songwriters, Robin Hitchcock or whatever, um, whose lyrics are really laced with that kind of pith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never found that to be very mineable. That was what was so great about Twitter. That was why I loved it so much was that you had a way to sit and be sort of Algonquin, -y, you know, like you, ha you could be Dorothy Parker to a room of people that you had no idea how big it was. 
and you would get the, you'd get responses and a lot of them would be dull, but there would be people out there that were like, lol. And you know, and it was a, it was a place to express that. And I'm grateful to not be on Twitter, frankly, but, but there isn't that, I don't have that venue, public venue to just be like snark and zippity snark at a zap. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put that into Instagram somehow, but, and use it there, but it's such a different medium. So I'm, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to find little visual, little vignettes, little shadow boxes. And, and then I realized I have them all over my house because that's the way I think, you know, I put a little shadow box together on a shelf or in a corner or on top of this pile of things. And I look at it and see it as a, as a, a vignette. And so anyway, I mean, I, I, it may, it may be that very soon I stop social mediaing at all because it feels like I'm, 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 I'm trying too hard to make Instagram something for me. I'm not sure that it can be. And I don't know who it was that said it to me recently. Like all of the things that the internet provides us now are all great. It isn't the problem. It isn't a problem of the internet. It is the fact that you carry it around with you in your hand. Like if, if the internet was exactly like it is and you went home every day and you spent some time on it, it would, you would not complain about it. It would be, it's an amazingly useful tool. It's a wonderful place can be if you just go where you want. But the fact that you carry it around with you all day in your hand, that's the issue. You're too, you're too close to it. You're too connected to it. It becomes too important. Yeah. It's, it's. It's squandering your time and attention. You're, it's too important to you. And it becomes a place like it was for me with Twitter. It became a place where my wit lived even separate from myself. And, and um, you know, and in a way that's maybe not where your wit belongs. So, so I, I rather than get, rather than find the next social media platform, I feel like maybe the direction is to find, to find a way where the internet is, you know, where your phone can be your maps programs and your, I mean, even, even my relationship to Wikipedia, I have to, I have to multiple times a day say, I'm not going to look that up. I'm going to, I'm going to either try to remember it mm -hmm. because I, because I know it. And in the past I would have just had to try to remember it. I'm either going to try to remember it or I'm going to spend the rest of the day not knowing, not knowing the answer to that. And at the end of the day, if I still, if I'm still curious about it, I'll, I'll spend a little time looking for it, but I'm not just going to resort to the encyclopedia all day. All right, John, all right, we have a sponsor today for this show, for this episode. No, that makes me glad. I know, because uh, it's about food, which is something else that I think you enjoy. I'm very into food. I know you are. I've heard you know, this. Unlike a lot of people. I know. A lot of people, they hate food. Like, another meal I have to eat. 
Oh, food. Food. You break. Well, the reality is a lot of people love food, but they don't like to make it or they don't understand how to make it or they don't know what to make. And Blue Apron is here. Their purpose is to eliminate all of these issues. Uh-huh. They 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 find people who say I don't know what to make. They say we'll we'll help you with that. We know what you should make, but I can't cook. I don't know how to make anything. No problem. We'll teach you how to cook. And they say, but I don't know how to go and like pick things out and 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 buy stuff. They say, don't worry about it. We'll send you the stuff. That's that's their whole mo is to make cooking at home fun, easy, accessible to everyone, and actually good. And they support a, a sustainable food system. They have very high standards for their ingredients. And they work with like local farms. They work with the fisheries, ranchers all around the United States so that things come from sustainable places. The beef, the chicken, the pork is responsibly raised. The produce is sourced from farms that have regenerative farming. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds amazing. Regenerative farming. Is it's like it is, Wolver- yeah. if Wolverine was a farmer, you'd chop the tomato off the vine, new tomato right back. Mm-hmm. Same exact size. You eat the old mm-hmm. tomato as you're digesting it. It's reforming in your stomach. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying All that's right. what they do. I'm saying that's what I imagine when I think of regenerative farming. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not what it is. But yes, go on. And they, uh, they, but here's the cool thing. They understand that we don't. We, if left to our own devices, are just going to be sitting there eating a bowl of Cheerios for dinner because they're like, I don't know what to make. I don't have any food. They send you exactly the right amount of food that you need to do the meal that they have sent you the recipe for. And I'll tell you what, I've made some of these meals. They turn, first of all, they're delicious. Second of all, I'm actually able to cook them. I can't cook anything. And third, they look like the little instruction card that they send you the picture. They actually look like the picture. They doesn't, it's not like some gourmet chef made this picture and what you have is like a pile of slop on a plate that tastes all right. It looks the same. If they say this is what it's going to look like, that's how it looks and it tastes great. And uh, they do a really good job. And they have all these facts in here that say cooking together makes a stronger family bond, mm. that, uh, that uh, families uh, are healthier and happier if they're cooking together. But it's true. I think it's very true. And I didn't realize that there was a social engineering there component is. to Blue No, there Apron. really is. They're reshaping America. And for, uh, for it winds up being only about $10 per person for one of these meals. And they have tons of great meals coming up. Uh, like real stuff. Here's one Parmesan crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. John, who wouldn't want to eat that? But they have, they have other kinds of uh, meals too. It's not just, just like that. Like spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza. With olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salad, like it's all it's all there, John. Anything you would ever want to eat, variety, and they send this out. So here's here's what you do. They made a special URL for uh, for this program. Did you do this, John? Before I go to that, did you do this? You had this. I can vouch for this. You had the meals. I uh, I have I have, uh, sort of many times, many ways, received the Blue Apron. <laughs> Uh, meals, meals in a while. Many times, many ways. Many times, many ways. Yeah, it has <laughs> it has come to me, and then I have you know I've sort of let it lapse for a little while because it is a tremendous amount of stuff every week. I mean, I I live a very uh, uh, not not a, a life that conforms to a regular schedule, right? And so there are times when I can 
cook at home three days a week. And then there are times when that is uh, just an impossibility. I won't even be here for a while or I'll be, I won't be cooking at home three nights a week. But when I have been cooking at home three nights a week, uh, I've received Blue Apron and I have friends that get it. And it's a really, I don't know, it's a, it's a little overwhelming, but it's a kind of phenomenal way of being overwhelmed. The, because the meals at first you get really into, I'm going to cook this meal according to this recipe. And it does, like you say, it turns out like it, like a, a little sort of restaurant meal. I mean, they're hard to, it's hard to screw up. You just follow the instructions they have. Yep. For myself, I often eat alone and the meals are meant to be two portions for two regular sized people. But I find that they make a perfectly great hearty meal for one. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's for a, like, a large meal for a large man. It's what I would have prepared for myself it, you know, like if those are the portions for two, that is a healthy way of eating, right? You could <laughs> yes. sit down with your significant other, make this healthy meal for two. That's exactly how much food you should each have at dinner time. For me, who <laughs> often forgets to eat until dinner time, by which point I'm ravenously hungry, it is a perfect uh, size for uh, for one. Um, so. There's that. And, um, and then, uh, but, but then, so then I let it lapse and then I start getting it again. And you also can, I'm sorry, you also can experiment because you're given all the tools and after you cook for a while, you can figure out like, oh, this is uh, so it's a little bit. It's you easy. You change it up. Bit. You might get some of the ingredients yeah. and say, I'm not. You know what? They, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do yeah, it this way. You change it up. You change it up, or over the course of a couple of weeks, you get a couple of different meals, a little mix and match. I mean, yeah, it's a fun. There's no uh, rules in this. You don't have to no, do it. It's very way. sporty. It's very sporty. <laughs> well, if you want to try this out, listeners, you can go to Blue Apron dot com slash roadwork one word and uh, you can check out this week's menu and you will get your first three meals free with free shipping so go check it out blueapron.com slash roadwork the goal that a lot of people have to create this personality their persona the like you were telling me it was it i don't remember what episode it was with uh, the whole michael stipe Instagram thing, how he does it. And I I think, you know, people use it in, in different ways. And a lot of people are using Instagram to kind of create their, their image or cultivate their brand, like you were saying. And there's other people who just, oh, I went to a pretty place and I took a picture of it. And other people are using it to say, this is a cool watch. And, you know, and I think, I mean, I think all of those are probably valid, but it seems like Instagram compared to Twitter, Instagram is just such a, a nice place. You can follow people that you want to follow. You can see the pictures that they make. You can post pictures on your own. And generally speaking, I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of annoying commenters and things like that on Instagram. But 
the implication on Instagram isn't so much that it's a place to go and have a conversation with people as much as it is to share something or see something someone else has shared. And the fact that they have the likes and that the likes or the hearts or whatever they're called on Instagram are so easy to do uh, that it, it it's so different from Twitter. I mean, Twitter is, it's phenomenal, phenomenal to me how much of a negative place Twitter had become. I feel like it's a little bit better, but maybe I feel like it's better because I completely moved away and moved on beyond it now. Like I don't really try to engage with anyone on Twitter at any level. I don't really try to have conversations with people. I don't follow people who try to have conversations with other people really. I try to follow people who say something funny or witty or share a link to something that I think is interesting. And that's pretty much it. Uh, the exception to that is uh, on one of the podcasts I do, I take like listener questions over Twitter and I'll say, hey, I'm going to record an episode of Podcast Method. Ask your questions here. Hashtag. And then they'll ask the questions. And and that's pretty much it. I used to really like Twitter. I used to really enjoy it was like a place where I could go to see what my friends were doing and communicate with them and the rest of the world. And now there's so much, it just feels like a hostile negative place. And I don't want to invest really that much time and energy and effort in, in trying to force it to work in a way that makes it a happy place. So I still use Twitter, but Instagram I find is quite charming for a lot of the reasons that that you mentioned initially that like you're using it like I feel like you're telling an interesting story by showing these different things that that you're that are in your house or whatever like I like that I, that that's interesting you know and I like I like seeing what people are are doing but I really don't like when you're talking about the duck I didn't know people were still duck facing that's and it's just there's something I don't mind a good selfie if there's a reason to take one but I don't know, you know, it's, it's so, it's so, but the same thing you talk about how, uh, how an Instagram account can be in Congress to, to meeting the person. Twitter is the same way. I have met people in person after meeting them on Twitter and thinking, wow, this person on Twitter is a total jerk. But like, I just spent the last half hour talking to them at a meetup and they're really nice people. And I'm sure that the same thing could be said of me because I don't do well on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not an example for anybody of how to be on Twitter. But it's such a wrong view of, of how, what people are like. I don't know. And then, like you're saying, it is in your pocket, right? Like, it's, it's always there. So, like, when things get boring in the real world, you have this device that's like a portal into, hey, well, what everyone else, what are you all doing? What are you all doing? And it's, it's very easy to get into that. You know, I often think like if I was, when I was a kid, I used to imagine one day like, wow, like imagine back then it was always like, I want to, I want to have like a TV on my watch, you know, or like Dick Tracy watch, something like that. And the idea that we would have these devices with, with us at all times that have all the answers to everything from how do I get here to tell me about the Roman Empire and everything in between that I, that, that, that I would have seen it as a primarily a device of information 
you can have the information for, for about the whole world up to date and current. Everything we know as a civilization is right there. But that's not what we're using these things for. You know, we're we're using these things to like look at pictures of people in uh, bikinis on uh, Richard Branson's back. It's weird. You wonder. We we all talk about curating your online self. Yeah. As though that's a kind of shameful thing that, that, um, you know, that by talking about it, we're unmasking it, right? Like, like that somehow your online self should, that, 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 that having your online self be like your real self or flaws and all or whatever would be noble or is noble. We're always thinking of, of things in terms of, well, you know, which is thinking of things in terms of, of honesty and nobility all the time, you know, that if you only, if you airbrush your photographs, then that's dishonest. And, and so ignoble, right? right? I mean, if you look at the cover of REM's eponymous album, which was a greatest hits album, um, but a greatest hits album from their early years. It's it's a great album if you don't own it. Eponymous. Uh, it just has like the cool the cool tracks up to about 1987. And there's a picture of um, REM's uh, famous lead singer on the inside of the gatefold, or maybe it's the cover. No, I think it's inside, and it's a picture from when he was when they were just starting out. And if you've ever seen a picture of Michael Stipe from when he was in his early 20s, he was just beautiful, just a beautiful boy. <laughs> he had long, curly hair and, you know, big red lips. And he had that kind of lost little boy look in his eyes. Um, just a precious, precious <laughs> beauty. Um, but Michael Stipe always had bad skin. He had, you know, not not like uh, Edward James almost style pockmarks, but he did have pockmarks because he'd had acne. And there was this photograph that he had that obviously at some point very early in their career, somebody, and it seems not like what IRS records would have done, but maybe uh, they took this picture of him where he was so beautiful and they just sort of airbrushed the, mm-hmm. the acne away. And so in the inside this album, here was this photograph and the, the tagline across the face was they airbrushed my face. And it was, you know, Michael had achieved enough fame and had enough power now in his relationships with his labels and his promoters that he could both put the beautiful photograph of himself on the thing and also um, demystify or also like claim the credibility of, of, of pointing the finger at it and saying, this is unreal, this is shameful. And now I, I am accruing to myself the, the 
honor and nobility of of saying this this is this is what they did they airbrushed my face and now I, now I'm free now what he didn't do is publish a photograph publish that photograph with his acne right he could have done that yeah you know uh but he didn't want to do that that wouldn't have been as pretty i mean this so what he what he got to do was put up the pretty photograph and also get the get the credit um but now we're really on a cusp, I think, where the idea of curating yourself online, like we're, we're past the point, and I think long past the point, where, that, where there's any kind of question about whether your real self is going to be who's online. You know, the, this happened in rock and roll the, for years. The idea that the band that went in, put up four microphones in the room and played their live set and that was their album was somehow true and rock and roll and every additional little bit of production you put on it, reverb or, you know, cutting together a vocal take or, you know, God forbid synthesizers, but every single one of those little additional actions made your thing, you know, more impeachable at the, mm. the, the more you worked at it, the more you tried, the less rock and roll it was, the more it was something else, even though the best rock albums all were produced, heavily produced in a lot of cases, but still there was this side of the side of the world that continued to not even believe, but just really espouse that warts and all unblemished or I'm sorry, warts and all completely blemished performance was the thing that was truest. And, you know, that by extension now, you know, we're still using that as an overlay to judge whether or not somebody's Instagram account is honest or whether, you know, and I just feel like we're, we're certainly in music now. You never hear anybody say, four microphones is the truest production because it's just the, the, you know, the, those horses are out of the barn so long ago. You can do anything you want in your, in your laptop now. I mean, the truest thing is who knows what, what, what true in music even is anymore. I guess it's still one person on a stool with a guitar. Um, but like your online self, who gives a shit? It's going to be gone that, anyway. It's yeah, right. I mean, it's gone. It's already gone. And so when I look at somebody's Instagram account, if I know them already, I, I want to see them be fun there. I want to see them or be miserable there. I mean, I follow a guy. I don't know if you are familiar with the band fences. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a friend of mine. And he is a miserable guy. He's just so sad all the time. And he curates his misery so effectively on his Instagram feed. It's just every day, every day it's a new suicide note. Ugh. Every day it's a new, like, I don't, I don't know if I can manage. Um, and 
yet done very beautifully and very artistically. And so you, I mean, I follow him just to, just to agonize with him, but something, you know, some kind of show I'm, I, uh, and, and there are still a lot of people, I follow a lot of people that are my friends that just post pictures of their dog. And I, I, I don't feel like I can unfollow them because they're my friends, but I kind of resent them <laughs> because their dog means nothing to me yeah. or to anyone else besides themselves. And, and they should take pictures of their dog. Absolutely. Uh, and I know their dog is like their child and they want to put their pictures of their children up. And I don't want to see pictures of your children either, really. I mean, once, you know, once a week, maybe a cute picture of your kid. But it's because I'm on there looking to be entertained. You know, I'm on the Internet not to get to know people better, warts and all. I'm there to get to know people better because I want to see what they think is funny and what they think is um, is neat. And you know, what they're doing is a different thing. They're laying in bed, their dog comes up and gives them what they think is a meaningful look, but what is really just a look of a dog, which is a walnut brain saying food or scratch, scratch ears. And they take this picture in low light of their dog and they're like, (laughs) and they don't even put a caption on it. It's not even like a funny, like my dog wants food and scratches. It's just like, here she is again, my love, my, my true love. And if it was, if they were taking pictures of their actual true love that much, like moony eyed pictures of their boyfriend or girlfriend sitting there just staring at them blankly, Mm -hmm. if that was their Instagram feed, (laughs) no one would go there. It would be terrifying. (laughs) That would be a terrifying person in the course of a week, 25 pictures of my, uh, of my significant other just mooning at me, but they do it with their dog and you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, I do. I resent it, but, but I, you know, I, uh, but they're my friend and I want to, I want to, I hope that they'll take a break from their dog pictures every once in a while to take a selfie of themselves in a hotel room or something. But what am I looking for out there? I mean, it's what I'm trying to, it's, the reason I'm on there is to, yeah, to storify myself again, to, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of aggrandizement, self aggrandizement in, in any amount of that kind of taking pictures from your life and putting them online. Even if you know, this is why I tell people to take selfies, right? Because even if you are just taking pictures of plants or watches or, um, you know, if you, if you think that not putting your own picture up there is a relief from your egotism, you're wrong because your photographs are an expression of your egotism. Like the thing, your vision of, you know, look, having us look at the world through your eyes, you have already accomplished like grade A egotism. So turn the camera on yourself every once in a while so we can see who you are. You know, that's my philosophy. Unless your Instagram account is, I hang out at the, I hang out at the outside fence of the airport and I take pictures of planes coming in for a landing, you know, where the, where the Instagram feed is, I do one thing. I am airport. Stalker guy. 
But if you're, you know, if your Instagram account is anything sort of like here I am in the world and here are the photographs that I take, you know, you're already in it. We're already looking for you in those photographs. And that's who you're trying to show us. You, you. And I, I, I put pictures up there all the time where I know that it's low hanging fruit for anybody to say, oh, don't you think you're Mr. Mr. Guy, you know, that, that sort of the person out there who thinks their job is to chastise other people for their visible failings. Like anytime I, I include myself in a picture, you're, you are exposing yourself to that, to the, to, to any one of those people or to the little one of those people that's in all of our heads where it's like, Oh, really? How did you manage to sneak yourself into that picture? But I have never resented a selfie. I've never resented someone else's selfie. I don't look at it and go like you again. And there are some where you look at them and you go, boy, you really seem unhealthy right now. <laughs> but, but never, but you, you don't, you, you don't hate to see your friends faces. You know, you don't hate to see people's faces that are interesting to you. I know people, um, a couple of women who think it's too egotistical to do a selfie that, that, that would be, Oh, I don't want to be all about me. It's all about me. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to take a picture of this beautiful sunset and not be like, all oh, look, look at me, look at me. Beautiful sunset. Yeah. That's what everybody wants is more sunset pictures. You know, I, I totally listen. I totally agree with you. I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think in my entire Instagram feed, I don't know how many posts I've posted, but I think I've put two or three pictures of my, my kids in there. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think I even had any, I think a couple pictures of my, like my fish tank, maybe, you know, just a couple, because I know people don't really care about that. Oh, look, it's my kid's birthday. Here's a picture of them. You know, like one, one a year. The, well, oh, that's you know, when my your birthday happens one my, year. Yeah, my little girl just did, won this competition. I'm really proud of her. Here, picture done. I don't need to see that. And you know what else? Like, honestly, you talk about a sunset and things like that. Now, if you're one of these people who's like a National Geographic photographer and you're traveling around the world and you know you're going to these incredible remote locations that most of us will never get to go to, or you're you're climbing up a mountain or you're doing something extraordinary. And that sunset, you want to post a picture of that sunset? Yeah, I want to see that. But if it's just the view outside from my balcony, it's like yesterday. There's a lot of people who are doing that. And, you know, I, of course, like, go and do it. But the thing you said about, about like, your, your people taking pictures of their pets and things like that, I, I see this all the time. And it's a stage. It's a stage that people go through. And it's lasting longer and going on more now because people are waiting longer than ever to have kids now. So that, you know, you, you get, I, I'm sure there's a term for it. I'm sure that you know, you, you can tell me what it is. But it's when you have uh, people who are a couple and they are entering into that age where biologically their bodies and perhaps brains are telling them it's the right time for you to start having a family. But because of the culture that we live in, we say, no, no, it's not. We have another 10 or 15 years before we even want to think about doing that. So we're going to get a dog. And we're going to get a second dog. 
And then we're going to be, our whole lives are going to be controlled by these dogs that we now have because dogs need water. Dogs need to be fed. Dogs have been in the crate all day because that's, that's what a dog is bred for now. It's not to roam free on a farm or help herd sheep or protect a, a castle. The dogs are now bred to be in crates all day. Well, we got it. We can't, you know, we'd love to go to that thing with you after work, but we can't because, you know, we got to get home for the dog. Got to let the dog out. And, oh, I feel so bad for her. She can't pee all day in there. Well, okay. So then they, they, they have these dogs or cats that limit their lives. But at the same time, they do think of them as children, and that's good. They provide them with companionship. There's nothing wrong with that. But people don't, and believe me, I mean, I, I'm always making accommodations because I have kids, and, oh, I can't go here, I can't do this, got to do this other thing, got the kids. That's fine. People do that for their, their pets too. It's okay. But I don't need to see pictures of, I don't ever need to see another picture of anyone else's pet in my whole life. So what I've been very careful to as in as much as people are creatively curating themselves and their own personal identities, I very carefully follow and unfollow people. If I see more than two pictures of a of a pet in a in a in a row or in a week or two weeks, I'm out. I'm out. I'm backing away from that account, never follow it again. It's just too much. Wait a minute. You will you'll stop following someone because you after if I see too much of yeah if I see too much of their dog or something I'm out. And I there are people who've unfollowed me because I post too many pictures of watches. That's fine. I'm into watches. You're not into my watches. Go. That's fine. Like that. That's what I'm gonna be posting sometimes. (laughs) I don't blame you. If I'm showing if if you're a friend of mine, and you're like, wow, Dan posts a lot of watch pictures. I don't really care about watches or you know someone's pet or sunsets well then that's cool like unfollow them it's not personal i'm not providing because i think of instagram but but the thing is dan that it is personal and and see i don't think of it as personal at all i mean people take it personal and there are people listening to to, john then they need to grow up well that's uh, what i guess it's not personal if i unfollow you if i if i get tired of seeing a picture of somebody's you know, backyard and they're bored. I'm bored of it. I'm going to unfollow them. It's not personal. It's I didn't, I didn't like the kind of picture that they posted in this one channel of which there are many channels into, into them in, in their life. I understand that you're saying that it's not personal to you. Yeah. But like when I complain about people's Instagram feeds, I know that there are a lot of people listening who are saying the same thing that you're saying. Well, if you don't like it, then unfollow or, you know, that's what's, that's what matters to me. That's what matters to me personally. Um, I like to post pictures of my dog. Why do you care? Why is it any of your business? It's not, but I'm unfollowing you. And what I'm saying is, you know, I'm, I, I'm f- sort of free associating or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to describe a thing, which is that, We're, you know, we're all in the media now. We're all media purveyors. And the, and the proliferation of media access allows us to, um, to publish whatever kind of newspaper we want to. But 
there has to be a certain amount of awareness, or at least I, I, there doesn't have to be, right? You can publish the most boring newspaper in the world every day because no, there isn't anything keeping you from doing it. I'm not talking to, um, I'm, I, I'm not saying this to boring people, right? I mean, anybody that's listening to our program, I'm assuming. Very interesting. Is an interesting person. Absolutely. Or is, is aspiring to be. Yes. And the internet is clogged with, choked with boring things because there's no barrier to entry anymore. You can do whatever you want. And I'm not saying that you can't. I'm not saying don't post dog pictures because go for it. I'm saying that you are publishing. It is, you are a member of the media in a way. And, and to think about what you're publishing. Okay. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Are you a subscriber to Cat Fancy Magazine? No. Okay. Neither am I because I'm not interested in seeing lots of pictures of cats. Yeah, love, I understand. Love cats. What... I love cats. And I'm going to try and see that Ketty movie about the cats. But I don't, I don't, I don't need that in, in the stream. That's not what I go to Instagram for is not to see pictures. And try, I love cats. My kids want a cat. I, it's fine. But I don't need to see pictures of other people's cats really that much. There is one exception to that. And it's an Instagram account I would just want to mention. It's Cat Mapper. It's a, a person who walks around Portland taking pictures of these beautiful, beautiful pictures of beautiful cats that they encounter. That's different to me, though, because it's not the same cat over and over just sitting on your lap while you're watching, you know, reruns of Seinfeld or something. Continue. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Uh, it's like, um, it's like deciding what kind of podcast you're going to start. You know, there are podcasts like, like song exploder is the one that we always refer to where it's just a great idea. It's just a great idea that once, uh, once it arrived on the scene, there were just, I'm sure a lot of people who felt like I did like, um, that is a great idea. I wish I had thought of that or, or even like it didn't occur. Like we all, there already were TV shows about like inside the album, but it just didn't like it almost achieved its perfect form in the podcast. And you sit around, uh, thinking of how to come up with a new podcast, like the McElroy brothers between the three of them, they have 800 podcasts because they don't <laughs> have, there's no barrier to entry for them and they have great ideas. So they just come up with podcasts and put them up online. But for a lot of people who want to do podcasts, the, you know, the question of what to talk about is the, you know, what's the podcast about is so, it, it, it's such a insurmountable obstacle to them because every idea is an idea for a podcast, but every idea is also kind of a bad idea for a podcast. Like I don't, I think uh, Rishi Hirway's song exploder is made a thousand times better by his aesthetic, his professional editing and his just sense. I mean, he's a musician, right? So he has a sense already but he just has, he's just a, he has a sensitivity that makes it a world-class podcast. Other people could have made that podcast just on the strength of the idea itself 
and made an interesting podcast. He is what makes it a, uh, like a superlative one. But every idea is an, every idea is an idea for a podcast. Um, and there are so many, so many people come to me and say, I want to do a podcast, but I don't want it to just be two white guys talking. And I'm like, well, you're talking to a guy that has two podcasts that are just two white guys talking. Right. Um, but you know, to have a podcast where it's two white guys talking about Star Trek, well, there already is one of those too. Um, but if you want to do a podcast, it, it's both like, it's both easy and super duper hard because there's nothing keeping you from doing one, but there's a lot of things keeping you from doing a good one. And most of the, most of those things are, I mean, are you, are you trying? Is it good? Do you, are you talented? And that's, that's true of so much of what is online right now. And, and, and I'm not saying like online as a place I'm saying for each of us online, what am I online? Why am I online? Why do I go there? And why am I there? Mm -hmm. uh, what am I adding to it? Who is, who are my followers and what am I offering them? What am I allowing them to give me? Like, what's the transaction within your friends? You know what the transaction is. If you're sitting around with your friends, your, your core group of friends, and all you talk about is your dog, you're going to know pretty quickly to, to stop doing that. Your friends are going to say like, God, would you stop talking about your dog, please? Like I'm having a crisis here. I was hoping you were going to listen to me uh, because I'm having a really bad day. And you're like, my dog is so cute. Like there are people that do that, but, but hopefully those aren't our friends or, you know, hopefully your friend is not the one that just talks about their dog. But somehow that one remove of the internet of putting it out there, of thinking to yourself, this isn't, you know, if you don't like it, you don't have to follow it. Um, you know, that it's the same logic of like, well, I like to talk about my dog and if you're having a bad day, uh, that's fine. You don't have to be my friend. Like strictly that is true. Right. I mean, that's, that is, you're right. I, but, but that's not how we are, right? That's not how you go through life. You don't say that's who I am. If you don't like it, fuck you. I mean, if, or if you do do that, that's a little bit, I mean, that's not a good way to be. You hopefully are listening when other people say, not just when they say, well, you stop talking about your dog, but you're also listening when they just start, you're listening to their cues when they start to drift off or when they change the, the subject over and over. I mean, you know, like we're all aspiring, I hope to be better people and to listen to what others are saying and be a good friend. And that for a long time we've been seeing, we've, we have felt like the internet is, a, is separate from us and we go on there and we, um, we, you know, we get to do whatever because there's no limitation on bandwidth. You can put up 80 podcasts of just yourself reading names out of the phone book and there's nothing keeping you from doing it other than the cost of the hosting of the shows. But, I guess what I'm saying is as time wears on the difference between us and what we are online starts to, there starts to be less a sense of 
well, I have my friends over here and then I'm online over here separately. And yet there's, there's more opportunity and less, right? If you wanted to start a blog that was Dan Benjamin's pictures of watches, you could, and it would have a separate, it would have a separate place Mm -hmm. and people that wanted to see your watch pictures would go there. But your watch pictures on danbenjamin.com or Dan Benjamin's Instagram photos, if it's 50% watch pictures, it's kind of a misrepresentation because it doesn't say Dan Benjamin's watches. It says Dan Benjamin and you are not pictures of watches. Mm -hmm. And I, and I guess that's what I'm saying. Like there is the opportunity for endless bandwidth for everybody to have an Instagram account that is just pictures of their dog. And but to have the, those pictures of their dog be more than 4% of what is on their Instagram, which is now sort of their face, you know, their front face. If somebody says, who is this person? I just got a job application or whatever. You know, this is a bad, bad, a bad uh, example, but in a way it's not. Like I met these air hostesses at this event. I thought, what a fucking hilarious, charming group of weirdos who have this extraordinarily weird, awesome job where they're the personal flight attendants of Richard Branson, who is one of the sleaziest, but also most successful popular examples of a kind of late 20th century, early 21st century, like billionaire CEO media properties. And these people fly with him all around the world. And they are also beautiful 25 year olds. Like their Instagram accounts are going to be extraordinary. And then you go there and it's, it's a, it's duck faces on beaches. It's rich kids of Instagram, but without any of the wit, there's never a picture. And you know, and I, and, and in talking to them, I don't believe that there's some NDA that they've signed that prohibits them from being witty on their Instagram feeds. You know, they're not, their feeds are not like I am a representative of Virgin Atlantic and I can only show this and that because they're, you know, because they're showing a bunch of T and a on beaches around the world, but they could be, they could be thinking of themselves more journalistically. Like I'm living this incredible life. I'm, I want to share it, but instead they're, they see the they see their Instagram account as an opportunity to push up their cleavage a little bit and make a duck face. And so for me, it, meeting them, where do I go to look for them? Right. Where do I where do I go you, to know right. more in, about? Yeah, you're going to go to Instagram. You go to look at their Instagram feed. Yeah. And then and in 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 that instance, you know, my esteem for them didn't diminish because they're standing right in front of me. I think that they're I see that they are funny. I just look at it and go, wow, what a missed opportunity. And what a weird thing to leave in the world. Like this is a, this is your, this is your face on the world and you're not showing who you are, I guess is what it is. And like my friend Brigitte Pavich is a photographer in Los Angeles and she does, um, she does incredible photography of a style that I never see elsewhere, which is it's very photojournalistic. She has this ability to look at someone on the other side of a plate glass window, see the reflection of something in the street on the front of the plate glass window 
and compose those things into a single photograph that tells that that is like a small novel. She takes shots of people who are just going about their daily business, little old people in LA, kids, and she captures them again photojournalistically in a way that I can't believe. Like her Instagram feed is genius. Brigitte Pavich. Um, and within it, because she's a professional photogra- uh, photographer, she, she is in every one of those photos. Um, because. She have red you, hair? So her, her Instagram feed is just B-R-I-G-I-T-T-E-P-A-V-I-C-H. Okay, I'm, I found it. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, like every picture, and I mean, there are a few things that she's been doing lately that are that where she's posting more portraiture of people, um, which I think is maybe something that she's getting into. But if you go back in her feed and look at, yeah, she's, she's doing some, she's doing different things in just in her recent Photos. I think if you if you look back in her whole story, mm-hmm. um, you'll find this photojournalism I'm talking about. And she, yeah, she has. She's been uh, just recently. She's. I'm looking at her feed right now. She's been taking pictures of protests and doing portraits of people. Um, but you scroll back, sort of past the past the Santa Claus and into, into her, um, her general vibe. And you, you over time develop a real sense of who this person is because she, this is her profession and she creates, and she does every once in a while put selfies up and, but, but for the most part you can get inside her head. That's because this is her art. And for most of us, it isn't our art. It's our, it's our play. But, but I'm, I, I'm constantly just, I, I'm trying to spread the, the good news, I guess, that you're more interesting maybe than you think. And to put that, the stuff about yourself that's interesting online isn't embarrassing. It's not where people are going to criticize you. The, the, the fear I think in so many people is that they're going to put what they think is most interesting about themselves up and they're going to get criticized or shamed. Somebody's going to go, Oh, you think you're this or, you know, that, that fear of that kind of response from people is what inhibits us and keeps us taking pictures of Posting pictures of mundane things or just being tempered somewhat or, you know, like every picture, every picture of myself, I make a weird face because I'm a little kid and I, and I can't have a camera pointed at me. And it just isn't true. Like as we go forward, what's interesting about us is going to, we're going to have to show it online because online matters. Who we show ourselves to be online matters. And you want to be your most interesting self there, not have it be, um, 
not have your interesting self be the thing that you just share among your five or 10 best friends. I understand the logic of that. I understand the argument there that your real self is who you just share with your small group of people. But that isn't the, that isn't the future. That isn't how it's going to be. And finding a path to have your, to have not your true self, but your interesting self be the thing that you publish is the, I guess my long-term argument and the long-term argument I make with myself. 